the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You were sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but welcome to December. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever is going um, on in your life, um, whatever questions you might be wrestling with, what we believe as Christians and why we'll do the very best that we can to answer those questions. Here's our phone numbers for the live questions, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of the free KSLR mobile app, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Because it's Friday, that means we made it through another week. Today is our final program of the week. Tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we're going to be in the New Testament in the book of Acts. We're in the first part of Acts chapter 8, the whole sordid story of Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, Sunday in our church, and I know it is at many churches, it's Communion Sunday. It's our favorite Sunday. We get a chance to sit down at the table with Jesus uh, and be his guest of honor uh, at the table where we partake of the elements that represent our faith. So wherever you go to church this week, Find somebody to bless. Don't just go and hang out, but be prepared to serve. Let God prepare some divine appointments for you. Make yourselves available. Uh, I say that again today because on Sunday, our Bible study here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is going to be just one verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, We've been... uh, a year and a half or so in the book of Romans. We finally made it to the practical section, which I love. And it says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And the reason we should do it is based on everything that God's done. Everything he's told us about in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Well, that's the same basis that I appeal to you uh, every Friday to go to church and be the church. Don't just go and check off your I did my religious thing box. But instead, go and be the church. Look for people that are hurting. Look for people that are lost. Talk to somebody you don't know instead of just hang out with the people that you do know. Maybe invite somebody to lunch and tell them about your walk with Jesus. Whatever it is, the Lord will truly bless your heart if you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So that's what's going on here. I hope that's what's going on everywhere. I hope a lot of people get saved. In fact, I hope enough people get saved that that we finally get raptured out of here this weekend. Probably not going to happen, but I want to be ready for it, and I want you to be ready for it if it happens. 
One more time for phone numbers, and then I'll get right to the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Glenn. Glenn says, what would I say to someone who claims that all religions lead to God? Well, Glenn, I'm not going to get tricky here or anything on you, but I'd tell him about Jesus. Because he's not a man who represents a religion at all. He's a man, of course, who died that we could have a relationship with God. And that's what I would explain. I would say, you know, religion is man trying to reach up to God. I'm going to do some good religious stuff and somehow God will find me acceptable on that day when I stand before God in heaven. Nobody who believes that, by the way, can say with any certainty that they're going to be in heaven. The best they can do is say that they hope they will. And then you can say, but here's what I know. I know that I'm going to heaven because I know my sins are forgiven. And when I talk to religious people, Glenn, what I want to communicate clearly to them is that I'm not any better than they are. In fact, I know that I'm as bad or worse than they are. But the only thing that keeps us out of heaven is sin, and Jesus is the only answer for sin. And they say, well, how do you know he's the only answer? Well, it's simple. They killed him because he claimed to be God. They put him in the tomb, and he didn't stay dead. And that's just the easiest way to tell them that all religions aren't the same. All religions don't lead to God. All religions don't know God. Because Jesus himself said that God can only be known by looking at the Son. If you have not the Son, you have not the Father. So it's Jesus and Jesus alone. We're saved by grace through faith, and that, the faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift from God. So go ahead and tell them, you need Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me tell you what he did that's unique. You know, we live in a time where it sounds so tolerant to agree with people. No, I'm sure you're a good person, and you have your faith system, and I have my faith system, but eventually we're getting in the same place. The problem is tolerant. It may sound, but loving it isn't. Because to give the impression to somebody that they can get to heaven in a false religion, and all religions are false. All religions are false. Remember I said earlier that Christianity is a relationship. And because all religions are false, we have no access to God. And then tell him you'll be praying for him. Don't get into a debate or an argument over these things. Just tell him it's all about Jesus. Declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks, Glenn. You know, I think uh, one thing that we all need to, whatever it is that we're, we're talking to somebody about, we really need to understand that uh, arguing uh, with somebody isn't going to accomplish anything. Um, we can just declare the gospel. We don't even have to defend it. We just declare it. Paul said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because the gospel itself was the power of God unto salvation. Believe the gospel and you'll be saved. So just declare it. Here's a question from Michael from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, good day to you, sir, and may God continue to smile on you, Paula, and your church. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. He says, I have a question about John chapter 20, verses 20 to 24. The mother of Zebedee's sons, that would be James and John, um, ask for them to sit at his right hand and left hand. And Jesus responds by saying, to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Do we have any idea who they might be? Now, Michael, before I answer the question, let me say that we don't have any biblical proof about who they are. Now, I have a very strong opinion. I'll share it with you in a moment. Um, but we're, this is one of those things that we're not told. Now, we're in the book of Acts. I, I've shared that with you before. And uh, when we are going through the, the early part of the book of Acts, we see uh, Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit um, reading according to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, he talks about Judas's place being deserted, and they have to replace him. And they set out the qualifications for being an apostle. 
um, it narrowed down to two people, and Matthias was chosen by Lot, uh, a decidedly Old Testament way of, of determining the will of God. We need to remember that it wasn't yet, uh, the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given uh, to the apostles. And they named Matthias. Now, there's a lot of people who say, no, it was the Apostle Paul. It wasn't Matthias. They, they should have just been patient. They shouldn't use that Old Testament way of determining where those seats, uh, who those seats are going to be occupied by. Uh, people go as far as to say Peter made a mistake. I, I believe with all of my heart that he did not make a mistake. Matthias was chosen by the only known means, according to the Word of God, fulfilling prophecy, no doubt led by the Holy Spirit, even though they hadn't been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit yet. Now here's how I tie that into the answer to your question. When James and John's mother sort of got sneaky, they were sneaky, sent their mom to ask Jesus to do something for them. When that happened, and Jesus said, no, those seats are already taken, that's basically what he said, those seats have been reserved by my Father. The question is who will be in those seats. We know that there's 24 thrones in heaven. We know that from the book of Revelation. Those 23 or 24 thrones are going to be occupied by the 12 apostles, including Matthias, and the 12 patriarchs of Israel, representing the entire people of God throughout all generations. The seat on his right and the seat on his left. Ezekiel 37 calls David Israel's prince. And I believe on the Old Testament side of Jesus' throne, David is going to be seated there. I also believe with all of my heart, Michael, that the other seat representing the New Testament church, the 24, the 12 elders, the 12 apostles. I believe that's going to be the Apostle Paul. David was a man after God's own heart. And Paul was a man used by God, I think, to a greater degree than anybody in the history of the world. So that's what I think. I can't prove it. The reason I can't prove it is because the Bible doesn't deal with it. But I feel very strongly that that's the case. What a wonderful scene it will be to see. Here's a question from our mobile app called in anonymously. I have a friend who says that there's only one Bible to read from, that all others are incorrect and misleading. The King James is that Bible. Why is it that there are so many translations? Anonymous, there are a lot of translations uh, because language changes. The one thing that's not... Uh, static in, in the world over the course of history is language. People speak differently today than they used to. Words have different meanings. I'll give you just one example. Uh, I get this question a lot, and I always use this example. Uh, the King James word uh, conversation meant behavior when it was written. That was, well, they may be won over without a word by your conversation. We know it can't be by your conversation, the way we view conversation, because it said, win them over without a word. Uh, that's Peter. So conversation meant behavior. Now conversation means words. So language isn't static. It changes. It's dynamic. Um, so that's why we have a lot of translations. The King James is a great Bible. It's a wonderful translation. It's easier to memorize, perhaps, than any of the others. Uh, even if it's not easier to understand. Again, it's not easy to understand because words change and speech patterns change. But it is a childish approach to Scripture to say that it's the only Bible that has any authority. Now, there is a King James-only movement, and you'll find some fundamental Baptist churches in particular, but, but other churches who who are gung-ho King James-only people. It's the only authorized Bible, they'll say. That logically makes no sense. It would mean, necessarily, if they were true, it would mean that before 1611 there was no Bible ever in the world, and we know that's not true. 
it would also mean that every other language that the Bible is printed in would not be real, would not be authentic. Because foreign language translations are not translations of the King James. They're translations of the best manuscript evidence that we have. So there's a lot of translations because it's we all have different levels of comprehension, different levels of understanding. So here's what you do. Tell your friend that he's wrong. Don't argue with him about it. And read the Bible translation that you're comfortable with and the Bible translation that you can understand. Now let me do one thing here that's important so you understand from an intellectual perspective uh, what matters here. Um, All the translations, they're not translations of each other. It's not a bunch of people sitting in a room saying, well, the King James says this, but I don't like it, so I'll change it to this. They're translating different sets of manuscripts. The King James and the New King James are translating the majority texts or what's called Texas Receptus. The newer translations are translating um, the Alexandrian uh, manuscripts. And there's differences in those manuscripts. But here's the thing. When you put those manuscripts all together, you come out with the same message. Different words, but the same message, same understanding. So don't get caught up in that debate. It simply is childish to believe that the King James is the only Bible translation. So Anonymous, I hope that helps and makes you understand. 340-9585. Let's go to Marcus calling from San Antonio. Marcus, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, uh, Pastor Ron, I called about, I think it was about a week ago, is in reference to um, the baptism, and uh, you mentioned, it's kind of like a question and a statement, and uh, you mentioned that um, that when Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission about the uh, about the baptism, and mm-hmm. then you mentioned the, um, the, uh, the book of Acts, Acts 2.38, and the uh, mm-hmm. Matthew 28.19, and uh, in Matthew, wasn't the that particular gospel written to to the Jewish people to let them know that Jesus Christ is the King and and uh, he was he's here instead of looking for another another Savior? Uh, that that was the purpose. That was Matthew's purpose in writing. He was presenting Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, but that wouldn't have anything to do with changing the the mode of baptism at all, Marcus. Um, you know, all four Gospels written uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have different perspectives. Matthew, as I said, presents uh, Jesus as the Christ. Uh, Mark's Gospel presents Jesus as uh, the servant of mankind. Um, mm-hmm. Mark, or, I'm, I'm sorry, Luke's gospel presents Jesus as human, and John's gospel presents Jesus as divine, with the emphasis on the miracles and the I am statements that Jesus made. So uh, they all have a different purpose. Um, mm-hmm. they, they didn't borrow from one another, but the idea is that they present exactly the same Jesus and you won't find any contradictions uh, in in any of the four Gospels. Simply, um, when Jesus says to go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's what he's telling us to do. When Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, says, um, they're asking, what what can we do? Uh, uh, You're right, we killed God, we're guilty, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins um, each and every one of you. And the, the reference to the, the Jewish community that I was talking about then in Acts chapter 2 is Jews understood baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of preparation. That was very Jewish, John the Baptist. When when Peter is preaching to exclusively a Jewish audience, um, he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Um, It doesn't mean that baptism is required for salvation, nor does it mean that we shouldn't baptize now in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He was just identifying to his Jewish audience in Acts chapter 2, and by the way, in Acts chapter 4 as well, he was identifying to his Jewish audience that, that the name to be baptized in now is Jesus, not baptized into the law, not baptized into John's baptism of repentance. One more thought here, Marcus, that's important. As you go through the book of Acts, we run into two separate situations. Uh, 
We're going to be studying one of them in Acts chapter 8 next Friday night, uh, where uh, the gospel goes into Samaria. Jews hated Samaritans, and and uh, the, the Holy Spirit didn't fall in power upon the Samaritans, even though Philip was doing miracles, and though people believed, and they, they, they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Um, um, the, the, the power of the Spirit didn't fall because the Jews who hated the Samaritans needed to have Jewish validation that they had received the Spirit. So Peter and John and another a, a smaller delegation of Jews were sent into Samaria to, because they heard the works that Philip was doing. And uh, when they got there, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the word baptizo has uh, about 10 or 12 different translations. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's to be immersed. It's to be completely wet. And so the idea there with baptism is a personal and public identification. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And, and in that Jewish culture, they were simply confessing Jesus. And that was the mission, the message that, that um, Peter was giving them. Does that help you at all? Um, w- one more statement about that. Cause, okay. Um, in, in that in that great commission, uh, wasn't Matthew referring to uh, one name in that particular uh, in that particular passage, Matthew twenty eight nineteen? Because he said baptize him in the name, and uh, there there's one name in that in that Godhead, right? Yes. Well, no. He was what he's saying is he was he, the name is the fullness of the Godhead, but he was saying in right, the name he, of the Father. Uh, the Father sent Jesus to reveal who the Father was in the name of the Son, in the name of Jesus, and in the, the name of the Holy Spirit. So it's not that Jesus is the only one that has a name. The Father is a name. That's a name that we, we communicate with, with when we pray. Father, uh, I come to you in the name of Jesus, or I come to you by the work that Jesus did. So that's mm-hmm. the name we know him by. You can call him Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, you can call him all of the other names that the Old Testament has for God. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. the Father that we're referring to. So th- there's one name in, in, in the sense that there's one God. But Jesus is saying, be baptized in the name of all three persons of the Godhead. So we've got the Trinity in view. Um, we, we've got not only the Trinity in view, but we've got um, um, the, the, the public proclamation of our faith and he's simply telling his disciples the, the apostles this is now your mission go out everywhere and you'll also remember Marcus in the, in the, the, the Great Commission he tells them to go into uh, Judea I'm sorry, to Jerusalem, to Judea, into Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. So he's preparing them for a ministry that is going to be, uh, in pretty short order, a worldwide ministry. And what about in, in Acts where it says there's no other name given amongst men that you must be saved by the name of well, Jesus? Thanks. Yeah, that, that too has that too has nothing to do with water baptism. Uh, there is no other name. He says, Acts chapter four, uh, verse twelve. Um, um, Jesus made reference to that repeatedly uh, throughout the Gospels, but it's not the name. What he's saying is that the only person that saves us, the only access we have to heaven, is given to us by the work Jesus did on the cross. So what he's saying is the same thing Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, in a Jewish construct in Acts chapter 4, when when uh, Peter was saying that, he's talking to Jews who believed that they were saved by virtue of having the law of Moses. And he's saying, no, there is only one name by which a man is saved, and that is the name of Jesus. But that has nothing to do at all with baptism. That's the profession of faith that gives us access to heaven. And Marcus, I think if we remember that that mankind, because of sin, is cut off from God, And until Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and then gave up his spirit and cried out, it is finished, that's when access, you remember the the veil in the Jewish temple tore from top to bottom as Jesus died. That was hugely symbolic. I mean, it was literal, too, but it was hugely symbolic because that veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies and no Jew except the, the, the high priest and only one day a year on the day of atonement could go in and see the, the holy of holies and so what we have here is 
God announcing that that access has now been given. And our access to God comes through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross at Calvary. These things have nothing whatsoever to do with baptism. When we're baptized, uh, and when we pray, by the way, Marcus, when we're baptized and when we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, and we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we know what the will of God is and how to pray in the will of God. So Father, Son, Spirit, there's, there's no competition between them. There's complete unity. And when somebody says we only can be baptized in the name of Jesus, those are, are people who say that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And that that gets into a heretical territory there because you're denying the distinction that is so clearly taught throughout the Scriptures of one God ever present in three persons. It's not one God and Jesus is all three persons. That distinction is made repeatedly. Um, throughout throughout Scripture, okay. Does uh, does Second Timothy cover that too as well? Without controversy, that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Uh, well, yeah, not only for Timothy, but but uh, Colossians is a great book. Hebrews, it's another great yes. book that talks about uh, about the superiority of Jesus. So. That's true. Thank you, Marcus. We're going to be cut off by the computer here in a moment. Um, we're at the end of the first half of the program. We've got 30 minutes left on the Friday edition of the program. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585. It's hard to believe we have less than 30 minutes left in another week. Um, I want one more word to Marcus before we... On. Marcus, it sounds like somebody's hammering you with the Jesus only doctrine. That's to miss the point. Second Timothy chapter two, verse five. Um, it talks about uh, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's a place where distinction is is really, really clear between father and son. Uh, we need a mediator to, to reach to God. God is holy and we're not. And so we need a man who was holy, who fulfilled the law. And that man, according to Paul writing to Timothy, is there's one mediator. And the distinction can't be any more clear than that between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So we've got two persons of the Godhead. We also have all three persons of the Godhead present at the Annunciation. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased at the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus goes in the water. So we got Father and Son, and then the Holy Spirit comes in the form of the dove and descends on Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit's not a dove, but he, he appeared in the form of a dove at that point. So there again, we've got all three persons of the Godhead clearly identified. So uh, don't let people put you into a trap. Just read what the passage says. The distinction between Father, Son, and Spirit is crystal clear throughout the entirety the entirety of our Bibles, including the Old Testament. So um, I hope that is is easier for you. Here's a question that came in from a mobile app from John, and this is uh, um, was precipitated by um, my question about Matthias, or my response about Matthias, seated on the right hand on the left hand. John says, in regards to Matthias the Apostle, wasn't he on the scene way before Paul? Um, a situation was what brought Matthias into the scene. Paul was not available. Wasn't he too busy being Saul? Well, uh, yeah, Saul would, would come years. Uh, Acts chapter 9, it, it seems like, well, it's only eight chapters difference, but there was some, some a lot of time before Saul of Tarsus was apprehended by Jesus on the road to Damascus. So in Acts chapter 1, when this whole thing took place, Peter stood up and he said, It's written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. 
And then he says this, It's necessary then to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what Peter's saying is for this person to qualify to be an apostle. Now, for those of you who go to churches where somebody in your church claims to be an apostle, this is important. In order to be an apostle, you've had to be with the disciples the whole time they were with Jesus. From John's baptism to when Jesus was taken up from us, the scripture again is crystal clear. Uh, they proposed there were only two men who fit those qualifications, those parameters, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. And they cast a lot. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these you've chosen. And the lot fell to Matthias. Saul, at this point, um, is um, a relatively young and unimportant figure. Uh, he is a star on the rise um, in Phariseeism. Um, he certainly would have been there at Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Um, he, we know that, that uh, he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ after Jesus was risen from the dead. So, yes, Saul of Tarsus wasn't even available yet to be called an apostle. But um, God chose Saul from before the beginning of time to fulfill his spot. And, of course, we know who he became. So, John, I, I hope that answers your question. I'm not quite sure um, what your point was, but Saul um, was too busy. We see Saul tonight. In Acts chapter 8, as we open the uh, the chapter when persecution starts to scatter the church, we see Saul of Tarsus giving approval to the death of Stephen, the church's first martyr. And we see him breathing fury against the church of Jesus Christ. And it won't be long before he is face to face with Jesus. We read that, of course, in Acts chapter 9. Thank you for the question, John. 340-9585. Here is a heartbreaking question. Anonymous. There are times when I feel so unimportant that I can't believe God can care about me. How can I believe God loves me? Anonymous, and I want to be as direct as I can and yet as sensitive as I can. Our feelings are so unreliable. You know, we're raised in a world where often we don't get validation. Uh, nobody's capable of giving us unconditional love except God. People tell us we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not thin enough, we'll never measure up. All we want is for our mom or our dad or for somebody that's close to us to tell us that we matter, that, we, that they love us. And when we don't hear that, I understand it's hard sometimes to believe that God really loves us. How could you love me? I don't even love myself. Well, God understood that. And that's why he went to such extreme lengths to prove that he loved us. So here's what you need to do, Anonymous. You need not to pay attention to what you're feeling or your emotions. And instead... Rely on what your mind tells you is true. And by that I mean we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The initiative was all God's. We know that he loved us so much that he, according to Isaiah, says it pleased the Father to crush his son. The pearl of great price in Matthew chapter 13 tells us that a merchant went out looking for a great pearl when he found one of great value he sold everything he had and bought it well the father is that merchant searching the world and he bought that pearl with his son Jesus and anonymous if you were the only one who would ever would have believed that's what's so important is when he found one so what you have to do is you've got to know your Bible remember the promises remember that God can't break his promise 
And then you've got to choose, am I going to believe what I know is true because Jesus said it? Or am I going to believe what I feel? And no matter how disappointing you may have been to other people in this world, I want to tell you, Anonymous, Jesus is thrilled with you. Can I ask you to do something? I'll give you just a little bit of homework. Open your Bible to the Song of Songs. Some translations say the Song of Solomon. And read just the parts with the heading in your Bible, Lover. That's Jesus talking to you. And if you'll take some time and really let Jesus put his arms around you and love you, how beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. You may protest. She did, by the way, the Shulamite. But Jesus will tell you, no, I'm staring at you. I'm checking you up from head to toe and from the toes back up to the head. And you're perfect for me. And the only way you're going to break this cycle, Anonymous, is for you to realize that you are the object of God's infinite love. And you've got to be able to accept it by faith, but also faith based on the evidence of our Bibles and what Jesus has done. And that every time you feel unimportant, every time you feel unloved by God, you need to know that's a devil, an enemy, who's trying to destroy you. He's trying to shipwreck your faith. Don't let him. Hold on for dear life, knowing that you're perfect for God. Now, this doesn't say anonymous whether you're a man or a woman, but it doesn't matter because you can go through the Gospels, focus on the people that were hurting that Jesus went to, men and women, women like Mary Magdalene, men like the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. Jesus went to them in the same way he's come for you and he loves you. 340-9585 let's go to Daniel on line 1. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I want to ask you a question. Um, Yesterday I was reading through um, John's Gospel and I was just wondering, uh, when Jesus says, he told his disciples in John twenty twenty three, uh, whosoever sins, uh, you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins, you retain, they are retained. Um, I guess, I mean, you know, what, like what, you know, what do you mean by that? And then uh, another question I was going to ask you is, um, when the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life, is is God, is he, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, because I would say I wonder, you know, why is it that some people believe in, and then some other people don't believe, you know, and I wonder, you know, is it, you know, Jesus said that nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws them near, you know. And, and you know, in and, and that, he also said, you know, whoever comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Mm-hmm. Now, I know those are two different verses, but, um, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, it, you know, I, I just, I guess sometimes I just struggle with the ideas, like, why is it some people believe and some people don't, yeah. you know, and it, and it, you know, and I'm not saying to have a mental, you know, acceptance that there is a God, you know, or that, you know, that maybe yeah. that Jesus existed, but to have a genuine faith, you know, and yep. a real faith, that a saving faith. I can um, help, Daniel. So I, you know. that, that, thank okay. you. I, I'll, I'll take that one first because it's the most important. Um, you know, Daniel, um, the question every Christian struggles with at some point is why do I believe and somebody else doesn't believe? You know, Paula used to bless me so much. She would say, look, I just believe. And and I was not one of those people who could just believe. I had all kinds of questions. I was a skeptic and a cynic. I had to prove that the Bible was the Word of God. I, I had to know. 
we, we have the incident uh, of, of Thomas, and it's in the same chapter that you referenced uh, earlier, John chapter 20. Uh, he, he said, I won't believe unless I see the, the marks in his hands. And in his side, and when Jesus appeared, he just showed him and said, um, he fell down on his face, my Lord and my God, and, and Jesus said, blessed are you, uh, Thomas, because you have seen and believed, but more blessed is the idea in the Greek, more blessed are those who have believed and haven't seen. So faith is a funny thing. Now, there's a lot of reasons that, that, that people don't believe, but the, the primary reason is always the same. It's sin, and they don't want to stop. It's not that God makes it impossible for people to believe. When he said, no one can come to me unless he's drawn, um, when he said that, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus made it very clear in the Gospel of John that when the Spirit comes, he's going to testify of me. And the Spirit is calling people. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And the reason few are chosen is because people simply won't believe. Jesus said the road to, to heaven is narrow and few find it, but the road to destruction is broad, wide, and, and, and heavily traveled. Uh, and the reason, Daniel, is because people just don't want to stop sinning. And make no mistake, everybody can believe. It's just that people won't believe. And when, when I consider, well, God, why me? Um, there's no answer to that question other than God gave us a gift of faith. And I believed. But he's given everybody the opportunity to believe by faith. And his grace awaits all who will believe. But it is impossible for someone who won't stop sinning to believe. Because the two things are incompatible. Week after week, Daniel, will have people come in and they're living in sin. People living together. Uh, people in relationships that are sexual when they're not married. Uh, people doing drugs. And I see this so often with people doing drugs, especially marijuana. Well, you know, God wouldn't ask me to give that up, so I'm not going to give it up. Because they don't want to stop sinning, they're unable to believe. They've made a choice. They've chosen sin over Jesus, and it breaks God's heart. So it's very important that we understand everybody can believe, but not everybody will. And the reason is always the same, sin. You remember this, the, the, the case of the rich young ruler? What must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus gave him the, 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 the horizontal um, part of the commandment. And, and he said, all these I've done since my youth. And, but then he knew he was still lacking. Well, then what else do I need? And he's, Jesus looked at him and touched the place in his heart that owned him. He said, sell everything you have, get to the poor and follow me. He chose his possessions. He chose stuff, money over Jesus. And he walked away sad, the Bible says. So everybody can believe. It's just that most people won't believe because they're not done with sin yet. And for people like me, and Daniel, I don't know your situation, uh, but for people like me, uh, I had to get so desperate. My life was so torn apart. I had to get so desperate that I had nothing to lose by giving up sin. My sin had already crushed me and was about to destroy me. So when I met Jesus that day in 1991, I knew right then and there that I needed an option because sin had never satisfied. Sin had destroyed me, and Jesus was the one I knew. So uh, we can believe it's just that, that we won't, and, and the reason we won't, it's because of our own free will we choose to rebel against God. The other question in John chapter 10, or chapter 20, that you read, um, um, that was when the resurrected Christ appeared to them, breathed on them, and said, Receive the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit had not been forgiven at that point. And then he said this, and I'm going to read it in a different translation than you read it to me, Daniel, because I think this is a little easier to understand. Jesus said, If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive him, they are not forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, as the Roman Catholics, as an example, take it, that only a priest uh, has the ability to, to absolve somebody of their sins. Uh, it's not a human decision here in view at all. What he's saying is uh, you're going to go out, you're going to tell people the, 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 the way to live. You're going to tell people the way to have eternal life. And when they believe in me, you then can pronounce them forgiven. 
And I get to do this as a pastor every week when people answer an invitation and they come forward. Uh, if they're genuine, if they're sincere, I have the ability to say your sins are forgiven. It's not Pastor Ron who's forgiving their sins, but it's God who's forgiving their sins because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And they believed in that finished work. Now, if if somebody says, well, you know, I'm I'm OK with God. I don't have any problems. I'm fine. I'm sure I'm going to heaven. I can say to them based on this verse that you're not forgiven. Because you're trying to find another way into heaven, and there's no other way but the name of Jesus Christ. So that's what he's talking about in John chapter 20. And he's commissioning his disciples by receiving, breathing on them, receive the Holy Spirit. He's commissioning them to go out and do the work that they're going to spend the rest of their life doing. Daniel, thank you very much for that. I appreciate the question. Very thoughtful. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question, another anonymous one. Uh, I'm a Christian, but my deceased wife was not. Will I, will I see her again in heaven? Now, Anonymous, I have to tell the truth, um, and um, it's all the information I have about this, but nobody who isn't a born-again Christian is going to be in heaven, so the answer is no. If you're a Christian, your life, your witness, you're sharing the gospel with her, um, she had her opportunities. But nobody goes to heaven except Christians. People from other religions get so angry when we say that, but the truth is that Jesus is the only answer for sin. It's not that Jesus didn't want your wife in heaven. But here's what she would tell you. Read Luke chapter 16. She would want you to tell the people that you love together that heaven's real, that Jesus is real, and that he's the only way. She would want you, even now at this point, because of her being separated from God, she would want you to get closer to God than ever before. Unfortunately, we can't pray people out of torment. It's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. And so now you're married to Jesus. And when you get to heaven and your wife isn't there, in a way I can't explain, you'll have no memory of it. Our tears will be wiped away. Our brains will be wiped. Because in heaven there's no bad memories. We won't be focused on the people who we loved here who weren't, who aren't there. We'll be focused on and consumed by the love of Jesus. So Anonymous, I'm sorry that you lost your wife. I'm sorry that your heart is hurting. But we have to tell the truth in love. Now, for those of you in the audience who have dated or married an unbeliever, this is why God says not to be unequally yoked. We simply can't choose a person over our relationship with Jesus. Why would I want to spend time in a marriage with somebody who doesn't love my Jesus when Jesus is the center of my whole life? And I see people over and over and over falling for people that aren't believers. And not only are they condemning themselves to a whole bunch of pain in this life, but imagine not having your partner in heaven with you forever and ever. That's why God wants us to marry within our faith. Because we get a chance to serve him together forever and ever. One of the things that I struggled with very early in my Christian walk was reading that there's no marriage in heaven. I thought, wait a minute. 
I'm finally a decent husband for Paula because I love Jesus and we're not going to be married? Well, the answer is no, because we're both going to be married to Jesus, but we will love one another infinitely more passionately, more completely in heaven than we do on earth by far. But we're going to be there and God's going to make her hang out with me in heaven. But we're both going to be married to Jesus. We're going to serve together forever and ever and ever. We'll be with people we know, people we loved. And we'll love them with an intensity at a level that's impossible for us to grasp here on earth. So we're not going to be missing anything. Instead, we're going to enjoy the fullness of heaven and we can't even begin to comprehend what that is. So Anonymous, you let Jesus love on you now. You get busy about his business and he will fill your heart with joy even in the midst of your sadness. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry that I couldn't say she's in heaven. I've lost a lot of people in my family who I don't know that are going to be there and it breaks my heart. So we ought to be motivated to make sure that nobody else goes to heaven. Or I'm sorry, nobody else gets shut out of heaven because we didn't tell them. We need to keep telling people over and over and over they need Jesus Christ. Those are really, really hard things. Really hard things, Anonymous. I'm sorry that you're going through those things, but I appreciate it. Hey, we've got, uh, we're at the end of our program today. We've got um, Acts chapter 8 tonight. Um, introduction to Saul of Tarsus. Um, we get Philip going to Samaria. Really exciting. Sunday, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, wherever you go to church, go there to serve the Lord. Offer your bodies this Sunday as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, if the rapture doesn't happen, I'll be back here Monday at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.